Chapter 8. Touch. Hermione hadn't managed a blink of sleep. Ginny had become inconsolable fairly quickly, and Hermione had simply rocked her back and forth, stroking her hair until the redhead had become too exhausted to remain conscious. She knew Molly comforted her daughter in a similar fashion, and she'd spent the majority of the night thinking about her own parents and how much she missed them. Her weary brain had then naturally dragged her to thoughts of Harry and Ron, and finally, Malfoy. In her defense, it was impossible not to think of her cold house guest when he was always there, but he'd been a little easier on her strained thoughts as of late. Despite his arrogance, prejudices, and the rest of the complicated recipe of flaws, Malfoy was certainly more bearable than he'd been before. She'd even found herself, accidentally of course, leaving for the library later than usual so she could spend more time in his presence. It was all for studious purposes, of course. McGonagall had asked her to keep an eye on him, and she found it somewhat fascinating to witness all the subtle changes. Plus, it felt good to have a consistent male presence again, even if it was forced, and said male was a prat. Still, watching him adapt to his surroundings and to her was so intriguing, and she had secretly challenged herself to influence him as best as she could. Hermione was almost certain that if, and that was a massive if, she could break his prejudices, then he wouldn't be so bad to live with. Then again, probably not. Her Gryffindor optimism could be a pain in the backside at times, but she'd try anyway, if only to erase the word mudblood from his vocabulary. Her lack of sleep was clearly starting to muddle with her head, and a glimpse at the clock told her it was already half six in the morning. She checked that Ginny was completely out before she carefully moved her to the side, reaching out with the hem of her sleeve to brush away some dreamy tears from the younger witch's face. Hermione silently headed to her friend's desk and scribbled a quick note, apologizing for leaving and explaining that she needed some rest. With a parting sad look at the pretty redhead, she crept quietly away from her former living space and wandered down the lonely corridors back to her dorm. It was only a short distance, but her steps were slow and thoughtful as she noted yet again just how dead Hogwarts seemed. Yes, the halls were still bleak with the winter morning, and it was too early for anyone to be up on a Saturday, but she had always adored Hogwarts for feeling so alive and warm. Now, every brick looked darker and every room was colder, and the entire castle had a similar atmosphere to that of a graveyard. It was a haunting comparison one that constantly reminded her of how dismal everything was. It would be the 1st of November on Monday, another month since Dumbledore's death, half a year, and it still made her heart shrink. With a troubled sigh, she mumbled her password to the pride of lions, but the door didn't open all the way. She frowned and pushed against it, feeling resistance from the other side. She slipped in sideways and instantly tripped on something, something fleshy that sent her tumbling to the floor with a shocked gasp. With a frustrated breath, she chucked her hair out of her face and glanced over her shoulder, her eyes going wide when she noticed what, or who, had caused the obstruction. Oh God, she whispered, pivoting on her knees and crawling over to him. Malfoy? Draco? He looked dead. It was as simple as that. His skin had turned a ghostly shade of gray, and his lips were a chilling blue smudge across his face. With his eyes sealed and his expression a foreboding semblance of peace, 
Hermione felt intense alarm and dread clog her throat. With jittery movements and panic clumsy hands, she fumbled with his wrist, grimacing when she noticed his palm was a swollen mess of blood and scorched flesh. The loud and violent thuds pounding in her ribcage calmed when she felt Draco's steady pulse against her fingertips. She released a shaky breath and relished the feeling of his heartbeats for a second, allowing her terror to subside. It only took another glimpse at his mangled hand and his position by the door for her to deduce what had happened. He'd tried to escape. Malfoy, you bloody idiot. Kneeling at his side, she forced herself to gather her wits, surprised when she realized her cheeks were damp. She'd cried? Well, panic could do that to people, and she could think about it later after she'd kicked the shit out of him for being so stupid. Wingardium Leviosa, Hermione said, quickly as she got to her feet and withdrew her wand, maneuvering the unconscious wizard to one of the sofas. She crouched next to him with her wand lingering over his chest, ready to wake him, but she hesitated. Her fawn-like eyes slowly drifted up to his face, and she realized she'd never had an opportunity to see him like this. This close. He looked so normal then, like he was simply sleeping. There was no trace of the anger and turmoil that always seemed to stain his features, no hint of how fractured his life was. He appeared relaxed, and she was completely transfixed by him. She reached out a curious hand to brush aside his snowy blonde fringe, and her fingertips moved on their own from that point, sweeping across his brow and up his cheekbone with probing, barely there strokes. Something wedged in her chest as she studied him further, and she found herself thinking it was such a shame. He was handsome and smart, but his upbringing had ruined him, and it was so sad. Such a waste. Some of the color returned to his face as she grazed his skin, and she couldn't help herself as she brushed her thumb against his lower lip. He was warmer than she'd expected. She snatched her hand away and gave it a horrified glare. This was what insomnia did to her, messed with her brain and encouraged her to do stupid and inappropriate things. Shaking her head and privately scolding herself, she placed her wand back against his chest and prepared for Malfoy's inevitable temper when he woke up and found her leaning over him. Enervate. Draco sprang up with a loud gasp, his eyes snapping open into wide and stormy pools and his chest heaving with urgent sputters. He didn't even notice the witch at his side as he stared straight ahead, blinking wildly and trying to regain his composure. Malfoy, Hermione shouted his name, placing her hand across his arm. Draco, calm down. It's all right. His frantic stare shot over to her, and she could have sighed when she saw him relax and his breathing slow to a regular rate. She was about to speak again when he quickly reached out with his injured hand, and she managed to resist the urge to flinch away in surprise. It happened too quick to understand, but his sticky palm was suddenly against her cheek, intimately slicking her skin with his blood. Her lips parted in shock as she tried to comprehend the gesture, and he was trembling so badly that the tremors vibrated against her face. And then, as if nothing had happened, his hand dropped, and he was simply staring at her with a blank expression. Snapping out of yet another trance, Hermione examined his shivering body nervously, listening to his chattering teeth as the shudders became increasingly worse. Malfoy, she breathed as calmly as she could. Your body needs to recover, okay? He didn't even attempt to answer over the rhythmic claps of his teeth, 
just continuing to watch her with completely empty eyes. I'm going to get you some dreamless sleep potion, all right? I'll be back in a second. She rushed to her bedroom without waiting for a response and flung open the chest as at the base of her bed to rummage as fast as she could for a vial of purple liquid. With the required potion in her fist, she grabbed a blanket from her bed and raced back to him, finding his body quaking at an alarming rate. She dropped the blanket and stumbled back to his side, desperately tugging away the cork and bringing the vial to his lips. D- Draco, she murmured over hang- her anxiety, can you keep still so I can give you this? No answer, just more shaking. Pausing for only a second, her free hand went to his face again, cupping his cheek and using her thumb to pry apart his lips. It's okay, she muttered distantly, oblivious to how tender she was being. She ignored the pain as she shoved her thumb between his vibrating teeth so she could pour the potion down his throat. When the small glass was empty, she tossed it over her shoulder and settled her palm over his lips, absently rubbing her fingertips across his face as she waited for him to swallow. No less than 20 seconds later, and he went completely limp, though he was still shivering slightly. She pulled the blanket over him and ensured he was substantially covered before she collapsed back on her haunches with a relieved sigh. Dear Merlin, she'd been petrified. Petrified for him, but she'd done all she could. Stealing a glance just to ensure that he was sleeping soundlessly, she rose to her uneasy feet and literally felt the exhaustion smother her like a freezing wave. Dragging her protesting limbs towards the bathroom, she hunched over the sink and tried to gather her thoughts, but a glance at her reflection made her breath hitch. There it was, his crimson handprint, blonde, bold and oddly beautiful across her face like some territorial mark that still felt blissfully warm. She stared at it for a long minute before she flicked on the tap and rinsed his blood away with a strange flutter in her chest. With a final glance at her reflection, she trudged into her room and began to discard her clothes. She hurriedly changed into a t-shirt and her pajama bottoms, tucking her wand into a pocket at her thigh. She could have cried over how comfortable her bed looked, so Godric knew why she decided to grab another one of her blankets and head back into the sitting room. Settling herself down and hugging her body under the covers, Her heavy-lidded gaze focused solely on the slumbering wizard across the coffee table on the opposite sofa. Again, he looked so different, but she had a feeling it had nothing to do with his calmed features this time. This would change things, but she had no idea how. Hermione woke first to the sounds of wandering students outside her dorm. She checked the clock to find it was almost midday, meaning she had miraculously managed five hours sleep, one of her longest rests in ages. It also meant that Malfoy would be waking soon if she'd measured out the potion correctly, and her sleeping stare drifted over to him. The whole incident seemed like a weathered whisper across her memory, somewhere between reality and a forgotten dream. She could have been watching him for minutes or hours when signs of life began to slowly influence his body. Just little twitches, and a rousing sigh before his eyes opened with a flutter of blinks. She half wished he didn't notice her because she knew it would lead to one of the most awkward moments in her life. Just as she was contemplating closing her eyes and pretending to be asleep, he cocked his head and their eyes locked. She'd expected nothing but rage and embarrassment, 
but she saw only irritation and a hint of shame swirling in his rain-cloud eyes. The silence seemed to spark between them as the eye contact refused to shatter, and Hermione's voice found her before she could turn it away. How do you feel? He looked away then, and she honestly didn't expect him to answer. Like shit, he muttered, his voice a little hoarse. The witch observed him intently as he pulled himself into a sitting position with some difficulty and a reluctant grimace, keeping his injured hand under the blanket. He bent his knees and clenched his eyes shut, bowing his head and massaging his temple with lean fingers. She chewed her bottom lip and silently scolded herself for leaving her couch, gathering the blanket about her shoulders as she neared him. What the hell are you doing? She could have sat on the floor next to his sofa. It would have certainly been a more rational idea than nervously settling herself on the couch by his feet. If he had screamed at her then, she wouldn't have blamed him, because she had no idea why either. But Draco barely moved. This was one of the most bizarre situations she could ever remember getting herself into, and considering the last six years of her life, that was saying something. What were you thinking, she blurted before she could douse the urge, frowning when he still didn't lift his head. Do you have any idea how dangerous the wards are? You could have died, Malfoy. You didn't come back, he interrupted with a low mumble. What the? What? Hermione breathed, trying to study every detail of his face to gain a clue. What do you? You didn't come back, he repeated, finally glancing at her from under his eyelashes. Last night. I, I don't understand. Nobody else knows I'm here, he hushed her, his words strained and quiet. If something happens to you, then I am royally fucked. McGonagall knows you're here, Hermione pointed out. Her voice was soft and patient, as though she was comforting him, and Draco was too confused to be disgusted by it. Despite his attempts to ignore it, there was something about Granger's proximity that studied the remains of his tempestuous soul, and for the moment, he didn't want her to leave. Not yet. How could he have forgotten McGonagall? It was all that ancient cow's fault he was imprisoned here in the first place. And if something happened to her, he questioned harshly. I would just rot away in here until some fucking third year noticed the smell. Draco, she gasped, flinching at his bitter words. If anything happened to McGonagall, the wards would stop working and you would be able to leave. He blinked. Hell, he'd never even thought of that. And now he felt like a bloody fool for his dramatic escape attempt. He snapped his glare away from her and despised himself for getting into such a state. If he thought that Potter wandering into the bathroom last year had been the most degrading thing that could happen to him, he'd been wrong. But but she was different to Potter. That immortal prick had been nosing around and trying to interfere, as he always bloody did, whereas she looked genuinely concerned for him. The very thought should have repulsed him, and his fingers itched with the instinct to shove her as far away as possible, but he didn't. Instead, he scrutinized her heart-shaped face for any indications of trickery or deception, but the witch, the witch practically glowed with sincerity. Why would you help me? He asked her, narrowing his eyes into suspicious slits. Because you needed it? Hermione shrugged as though it was nothing. The wards are strong and dangerous, and you could have... You hate me, he hissed, perhaps more to himself than to her. We loathe each other, Granger. Why the fuck would you... I don't... I don't think I really hate you, she stuttered shyly, 
and Draco clamped his mouth shut with an audible snap. Hate's a strong word. I would never wish anything fatal on you. Wouldn't you? He growled cynically. No, I wouldn't, she affirmed with that familiar determination of hers. And I would hope you wouldn't wish it on me. Draco snorted, but she would be deaf not to notice the lack of conviction there. A memory of the Quidditch World Cup invaded his mind, and he recalled himself warning Potter to get away, get her away from the chaos. It had been a random impulse that he had questioned relentlessly for weeks afterwards, but there was no escaping that he'd considered her safety, and he still had no idea why. Let me check your hand. Granger's voice stole him back to the current predicament. It looked pretty bad this morning. It's fine. No, it's not, she cut him off with a stern glare, extending her hand. Look, I'll just petrify if you insist on being difficult. Wouldn't you rather we just got this over with? Draco scowled at her and clicked his tongue. You will not tell a soul about this, Granger. I couldn't, even if I wanted to, Malfoy, she reminded him. Everything that happens in this room remains between us. Something about the brunette's comment made his throat run dry, and he gulped down a scratchy swallow as he reluctantly revealed his hand. As he settled it on in her cupped palm, he grimaced when he realized it was a lot worse than he'd expected. There was a deep gash slicing across the center, clotted with half-dry blood and still oozing in some areas. His skin was folded back like grotesque petals, and little red lines branched away from the large cut and spread across the rest of his hand like roots, stretching up his fingers and wrist. Draco could feel residual magic crackling under his flesh, and the weeping scold burned like torture. His smoky eyes shifted to Granger, half expecting to find her choking on the fumes of vomit, but she was simply nibbling her lip. Her hazels were calculating the damage, and he watched the clogs of her brain churn with too much attention. He noted that they were, once again, effectively holding hands, the smell of blood lingering between them, just like the first time on his bed after the bathroom incident. This will take a couple of minutes, she murmured, pulling out her wand and beginning the work on his wound. Does it hurt? No, he lied through gritted teeth, eyeing the golden glow at her wand's tip. Just hurry up, Granger. She dampened her lips with a flick of her tongue as she healed the mess, starting at his fingertips and working her way down to the gaping slash. Ignoring the searing sensations sparking in his nerves, he focused instead on her gentle touches and found them the perfect distraction. They sat in silence that oddly bordered on comfortable, and he was too lost in the soothing exercise to do anything when she tugged up his sleeve. Granger's harsh breath broke his trance, and his head snapped down to find her amber eyes round and shocked. He wanted to melt away at that moment, disintegrate into nothing. He followed her stare down to his arm, knowing full well what had shaken her, his dark mark. Okay, so that was chapter eight. I have a very awesome special guest this week, Steph. She's from Scotland. Thank you very much for being on. I'm so excited to meet you and talk to you on here. Hi, it's nice to meet you too. <laughs> so um, chapter eight, this is a super fun one. <laughs> mm -hmm, definitely. Like I didn't realize how much actually happens in this chapter. Yeah. Like, 
in the terms of Hermione spots and Draco spots, you know? Yeah. So, like, I wrote down loads of quotes from yes, <laughs> the Yes, yes, share. So, like, the first, like, thought that, you know, Hermione has is, like, obviously she stayed over with Ginny. Because mm-hmm. she was, like, very emotional from the last chapter and it's kind of continuing on where, she, you know, she's trying to be the person that's given her comfort. But then obviously she's talking like those quote where her weary brain had then na- naturally dragged her to thoughts of high and one and then finally now boy. Yeah. And <sighs> I was like I was like, oh, okay, so it went to high one and then it's it went to my boy. And then to me that sounds like it kind of settled there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the thoughts went to Draco and then she just couldn't stop. Yeah. And you see that in the rest of the paragraphs because she's like, but then there's like, like these slight hesitations where she's like, you know, oh, but in her defense, you know, it was impossible not to think about him. And I'm like, yeah. no, don't, don't even try that. <laughs> in her defense, yeah, she's trying to justify how much she's thinking about him. I do, yeah, I mm-hmm. totally agree. I think she, that's really cute that she's like, okay, thinking about all these important people in my life. And then it's like, bam. The person that, like you said, she settles on thinking about is <laughs> Malfoy. Yeah, of all, of all the people, like you know, Jenny's there, feeling very down, and then she's like, "I'm gonna think about Draco." Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, and and she's starting to like. You can see in the second paragraph here that she's starting to really like kind of put a lot of his crap behind. You know, in her in her thoughts of him, like. She says, you know, just mm-hmm. or she's thinking like, despite his arrogance and despite all the bad things about him, which is kind of like when she's when she's listing them off, like it's kind of a bad list of stuff, prejudice, oh, arrogance. Like we know, you know, but but she's like, okay, despite all of that, though, he's got some good redeemable qualities, and like mm-hmm. I think it's she's starting to realize too that like, you know, um, it's deep in there. It's just she even says later in this chapter like you didn't it's not your fault like you were raised this way you know yeah mm-hmm. definitely yeah. um it was like i've heard him like i've got like loads of different sections in my notes i love your notes <laughs> i love it um, like i've heard it's i've heard it's key moments so like these were my top key moments these were moments where i was literally like oh my god like bex you're giving us so much right now <laughs> so it was like when it, like when Hermione revealed like she left later to go to the library yeah. but then she's like oh but it's because we're gonna go you know it's, she 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 needs me to look after him right and it's like yeah okay in her you, defense you telling yourself that yeah it's McGon- it's all McGonagall's fault <laughs> it's like she's looking for excuses so good <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that is a good point. I didn't really think about, like, the excuses she starts making for herself for, like, why yeah, she wants to for... see him and spend more time with him and think about him. And, oh, yeah. And it's, like, I also find it quite interesting that she was using Draco as, like, the reason that she's, you know, liking being around him is because it's a male presence. And I'm like, but there's Neville. That's true, yeah. Yeah, there are other male presences there that that are, you know, she's been friends with for years. 
But, I mean, yeah, we, I think we also understand that there's some kind of intrigue about Malfoy. And we know with just Hermione's character, like, who she is, she's a curious little cat, you know? <laughs> like, she wants to know, you know, more about everything, more about books and, and the Wizarding World. And, I mean, just everything that she can find out more about. Um, so with someone who's so intriguing that she's like stuck with, of course it makes sense that she'd be like, I want to find out everything about him. I want to figure him out. Yeah. So I always think of like the actual first book when I think about Hermione and how that the task that Dumbledore made for her was, you know, the task with the potions. So she likes puzzles. She likes working things out. And I think because she's like watching Draco and seeing him kind of, evolving slightly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. since she's been in his presence she's enjoying watching that like and kind of raveling the puzzle that has happened you know that's so, such a good um, analogy yes that's such a good yeah because you know, i always I always think of that i'm always like yeah she likes puzzles it's clear that she likes puzzles because yeah. you know she would seem like the type that yeah. would sit down and do a crossword puzzle and stuff like that. That's how I just imagine it. I like love that too. Like... <laughs> I love that too because it's like that just makes me think of how much Ron is not a puzzle. <laughs> like, right? Like, I love Ron. I, I do. I know a lot of people don't, especially in the Droiny fandom. Well, but like, <laughs> I mean, in the last book, it was quite a puzzle because obviously with the Horcrux, yeah. it was like, me, they're not going to get it together. Like, J.K. Yeah. Rowling is definitely not going to do that for some reason. <laughs> Even though I was convinced from the first book that that's where she was going, and then all of a sudden, just Ron pops out, out of nowhere. I was like, I'm romantic interest, hi. <laughs> yeah. And then, obviously, as a child, I was like, oh my god, yes, they're so perfect for each other. Yeah. Then I look back at it, and I'm like, oh, are they really? Because all they do is get jealous, and, like, Hermione is throwing birds out and he's like storming off right yeah so yeah you know everyone says that you know ron and her are so good together but i kind of think he was even worse than what we what a lot of fan you know in when i reread like canon or when i watch the movies again i'm always like ugh, i hate draco like he's such an awful person but then i read him in you know the characterizations that people create of him based off of the little bits that we get or the little bits of doubt or the little bits of like you know real human humanness underneath there (laughs) underneath the hard exterior that like fan fiction people authors like write you know they run with it basically and so when I read those I'm like yes this is the Draco I wanted this this makes way more sense and this makes sense for him to be with someone like Hermione and for my Hermione it, on the flip side to want to be with someone like him you know yeah and I think that's what I love the most about when I read isolation is the fact that as in like I do love I've read so many fan fictions over the year and they've all been so different but with isolation I've loved it in the sense that you actually really go on the journey with Draco from mm-hmm. when he's really hating her you know, like he doesn't yeah. want to be in that room with her. He would <laughs> yeah. much rather go back out and get killed by those death eaters. Mm-hmm. You know, but then slowly he, like you know, is he grows and develops with her because she also doesn't want to be with him. Yeah, you know, it's a mutual loathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I love that. It's so good, and just. <laughs> 
it, it does seem like a more realistic way of like getting breaking down kind of the barriers between mm-hmm. them because they are kind of forced into certain situations where they have to work past that whereas like in a lot of other fanfic stories it's like they're working together i mean usually that's kind of the trope though isn't it like the same thing with i mean if you read have you read pride and prejudice yeah you know like long ago long time ago (laughs) well i mean it's like to get two characters i mean it's just that same trope right to get two characters who don't like each other or start off not you know basically hating each other you have to force them as a writer you know you have to force them in a situation together where they have to spend time together so that they have to break down those barriers and that's like that's just the trope that's why I understand the whole Germany thing and I don't understand why some people don't you know it's like that's literally the the thing the thing that I always find very interesting about people that are anti-Germany is like you know they always go for the abusive kind of thing Mm -hmm. but like and I do get that you know what I mean but when it's when people say about you know it's like a Nazi soldier going out with a Jewish girl and I'm like but it's not yeah it's It's not it's 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 not not because it's blood you know it's it's it's, it's not even really about blood you know what I mean it's just you know they chose J.K. Rowling use blood really but it's literally just about magic mm-hmm. and whether you know Draco thinks that she deserves the magic she has right. and you like <clears throat> and I'm not sure if it was you I was talking to this about but um, I feel like when it gets to you know when she punches him in the face <laughs> yeah yeah. in the, the movies uh, when she punches him in the face after that you see a swift change in Draco mm-hmm. like in the next book he's telling them and I'm not so politely but you know it's Draco yeah. um, <laughs> you know get her away because otherwise they're gonna hang her and like you know yeah put her like all the rest of the muggles and that yeah. and she's like I'm not a muggle and it's like mm. On, just do what he's saying. He's saying that in his really weird way because he's actually wanting to help you. Instead yeah. of just being like, oh, I really want to help you. You better run before they come and kill you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I like that that's added into this chapter. That's kind of like a callback in this chapter because actually, honestly, I forgot that that was a piece in canon from uh, Goblet of Fire. Like, I actually totally forgot about that. So it was really nice to be reminded of that and be to, like, kind of interpret that in a different way through this lens. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a fun way of, of rethinking it, you know? I love when little bits of canon are, like, you know, interwoven. Into, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> love that. So I think that's well done yeah. in this chapter. I like it also because in it's a good like it's a good divergence from the canon that's already there because it's calling back to it but not necessarily the way that it was originally implied to be mm-hmm. you know what i mean because we only know how he's playing the game in the books and that's not a good POV, like POV to go through because yeah. he didn't know what was going on <laughs> yeah and he hates so who knows? Like I do believe that there must have been something going on between him and Draco towards the end, but you know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's your head canon. 
That is my new thing. Yeah. Harry was just too busy. He, yeah. he had too much on his plate that he didn't realise. He didn't think about it, yeah. And then obviously, then Draco got too much on his plate, so it was like, oh well. And I just couldn't, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. Um, so, what were some of your other quotes that you wrote down there? Oh, the next one is just, you weren't willing. Mm. You know, when, it, you know, she's actually, like, examining, because obviously she finds him, yeah. and she panics, like, she fully panics. Yeah. And she, she doesn't even realise, like, I love, like, um, you know, like, it's written that, you know, she doesn't even realise she's got tears down her cheeks. Yes. Because she's oh. crying, and she doesn't realise in her own shock that she yeah, is crying. Yeah, that's so sad. And, just, oh. and I feel like that just shows you how up in her like, head she was at that time. Like, oh my yeah. God, is he dead? She says that he's blue, and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I remember when I was first reading, I was like, see if, see if he's dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know how I can finish this, because I read a lot of ghost Romani oh okay in recent years <laughs> just because i like to depress myself oh my god um, <laughs> no it's horrible but it's there and i'm like oh well i may as well but <laughs> like, i guess if, yeah if this is going to be a if this is going to be like a ghost story i can't do this <laughs> <laughs> no that would be too heart shattering oh mm-hmm. Well, um, something I, I liked about that line that you mentioned, but, um, when she is like, oh, when she realized that she had been crying when she found him is that she like in her head is thinking, oh, I'll have to think about that later. And that's something that Draco, I think Draco had said it in the previous chapter where he was like, yes. I'll have to think about that later, but not right now. So they're mm-hmm. both kind of like, I don't know what's happening, but like, I'll just think about it yeah, later. Because- in the last chapter, she was talking, uh, he was talking about, you know, the scent of her mm-hmm. in the shower. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, that's what it was. He's... Yeah, because isn't that when he went and sat against the wall, or are we not there yet? Am I ruining things? I don't know. I know that, obviously, he was just panicking that she hadn't come home. Yeah. And then, obviously, he started going into kind of a spiral of mm-hmm. emotions that you probably would do, and, you know, you're you know, a panic attack, you can go from one thought to the next to the next to the next. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and he's just like, you know, all like, you know, who will remember and all that. And then he gets to like, oh, well, girl, I'll miss her scent and sure if she doesn't come back. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh. oh. Baby Draco. <laughs> it's like, maybe she has some perfume in the room that you can smell. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hermione perfume <laughs> made of her scent. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, but I definitely, I did like that parallel between like the two of them in the sense that they are thinking about each other. They're yeah. like, okay, wait a second. I'll need to come back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not ready to deal with that yet. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it's like, it's not, it's explicit in the sense that they're both thinking it through their own perspective, but like, if you don't, if you don't make the connection, then you don't necessarily know it's there. So it's like really fun to make that connection and be like, oh my gosh, they're both thinking that we're both dealing mm-hmm. with that. It's just, yeah, that it makes it fun. Yeah, definitely. So, um, <laughs> I mean, if you have more quotes, I would love to know what other ones you, you pulled out. Um, 
Oh, that's a good... Yeah, I should attract that. Maybe I'll look back and see. Because um, at first she goes, oh God, she whispered everything all on her knees and crawling over to him. And then she says Malfoy. Yeah. And then Draco. Like, she actually shouts Draco. There is kind of a shift here. Like, when they start um, getting close, like, physically closer because of these events, it really is that they, um, they start... I mean, he, she starts using Draco. And so I, I love that shift. Mm -hmm. That's fun. Because, like, she, you, she doesn't just use it, like, even in her head. She starts seeing Draco instead of Malfoy in this. Yeah. So she does. And I found that quite interesting. And then it's when it gets to, like, the part where it's like, he tried to escape, but she figures out that he tried to get out. Yeah. That in her mind, she goes back to Malfoy, you bloody idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. And then I find it quite interesting as well, like when, you know, she's gotten, like she like, takes him back over to like the couch. Yes, yeah. And then she's like, she's doing that, whereas, like, should I wake him up? Like, don't really want to do that. It looks so peaceful. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm thinking, her mate, I'm, I'm thinking, her mate, right, okay, it looks peaceful, but his heart. <laughs> please do something <laughs> yeah exactly yeah because I mean his it, he well I think it's in his perspective I'm not t totally sure but um at some point he's noticing it's still oozing blood <laughs> like they need, this needs to be fixed right now and then of course near the end of the chapter is when she sees his dark mark and I just love that like he is immediately thinking about how he doesn't want it to like affect her innocence it's so it's yeah. so genius because it's like you know you would think with his character before all of this has happened that he would be like oh I don't I don't care or I even if he did care it's like I don't want her to see my, like something personal to me it's more about like her and focused on like her experience of seeing it night Is that your family? Yes. No, no, no. I was sleeping. I was like, no. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, um, so what were we talking <laughs> It's okay. We were talking about um, Hermione seeing his dark mark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that quite a big moment in this chapter because obviously... This is the first time she's seen it. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't even, like, I, I find that very interesting because obviously he's waiting for her response to it. And she doesn't give anything, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, her response is, I mean, what is she? She doesn't really say much. I think she just says, like, that you, um, you know, it wasn't your choice. And it's, like, how you were raised or you didn't, you know, you didn't have a choice, basically. Um mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, he's feeling, I think he gets kind of defensive there. You know, he's feeling like, okay, I, my space has been violated. Like this is too much basically. And so he kind of retreats, um, emotionally and like physically. Cause I think he's trying to like get out of there basically like hurry up, hurry up. 
And then she asks him, she kind of presses on, which I, I, I admire her tenacity with trying to like dig deeper into him and who he is because she kind of presses on and asks if he hates her because she had said that she didn't hate him. And he's like more and more each day, which we all know is like not true at all. <laughs> doesn't he say himself that that was a lie? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, instead of actually saying anything like he he honestly just lies and you know it's a lie a blatant lie for me right. doesn't know what it is <laughs> but no, we yeah all we all know that he doesn't know what hate her even if he right. wants to even if he wanted to yeah <laughs> oh my gosh the um, story will not allow it <laughs> no no we know this is a <laughs> it's unacceptable but um also, like, another part that I loved was when, obviously, and many pointed out how stupid he kind of was when he panicked about, you know, not being found. She was like, well, McGonagall knows you here. Yes, but he didn't even think about it. The only thing he was thinking of was her. <laughs> it's so precious. <laughs> it's so sweet. <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, it's like, see, she's, she, many likes pointing out when someone's being stupid. So you've just gave her something to love you for. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. oh my gosh that is a good point though because we I didn't yeah I didn't even think of that very much either but yeah that he is like oh yeah I forgot about McGonagall yeah. the person who literally put me in this mess in the first place it's like yeah duh because that's this is this is a quote it was like how could he have forgotten McGonagall it was all that ancient cow's fault <laughs> he was imprisoned here in the first place yeah. Oh my god. His his description. <laughs> like he's so bad towards McGonagall for that, you know. <laughs> I know, and I love her. <laughs> oh, but it makes sense. It But yeah. <laughs> also like Draco's still proud at this point as well. Like so because Hermione pointed out that you know he was kinda stupid and he's like, Well, what if something happened to her? Like what about me <laughs> you know so like he's like yeah. i'm not gonna settle for the fact that you pointed out that i was a little bit stupid panicking about what would happen to you the point <laughs> is we're talking about myself right now and i was panicked what a dork what a dork yeah <laughs> those are all good points i mean this is really fun because um, when I read it, like I feel like when you read it yourself, there's always something that you doesn't stand out to you that that you know someone else notices or you know. So to be able to sit and talk about it with someone that I don't even know in person, this is the first time we've met, <laughs> like it's really nice to like just see the same things and then interweave all the things that we didn't see. So that makes it really mm -hmm. fun. Thank you so much for chatting with me about this chapter and for coming on the podcast. This is awesome.